0: Hey, everybody. Absolutely stunning news over here this week. We have a video version of this week's episode available on our Patreon, which is patreon.com slash night. Go over there, sign up at any tier, and you'll have access to it. Once again, that's patreon.com slash night. Now, enjoy the show. So remind me, Dan, where are you based? Calgary, Alberta. Calgary. Great. Did you grow up out there or, or did you just find yeah, I'm yourself from there? Here. I'm from cool. here. I've moved
1: away a couple times and I always come back.
0: Is the cold weather really just what <laughs>
1: keeps you there? Uh, no, no. The, uh, <laughs> uh, I'm not a huge fan of the cold, um, but you know, like my family's from here and I love this awful city. <laughs> There's a great song by the band Los Campesinos mm-hmm. um, called The Fall of Home. Mm-hmm. It's very much sort of about the trend in the UK of, like, there's so many problems in all these small towns because everybody my age, all of the millennials, were like, hey, this place is kind of backwoods and homophobic and all of these other, like, issues. I'm just going to leave. And there, it's a complicated subject because you should, in fact, just like be allowed to and be like, it's not bad to just leave. But there's been a social consequence on these places that it's like there's been a drain of like, people taking over. And so it's like, oh, so the support networks that were there, like the youth clubs, the sure. you know school support, uh, extracurricular activities, you know, kind of all of the other stuff, like it's just Falling apart because there's no like 30 year olds to run those things because they all just up and and moved out. And then you go back and you visit, and it's like, oh man, home is such a garbage trash place that's dying. I'm glad I left. And so it's just, it's a really kind of poignant song about the complicated consequences of these decisions on like the time scale of decades.
0: Yeah. I wonder at which point. Because of price increases and in cost of living in cities, does this trend? I mean, we've already seen this somewhat in, so we're, Layden and I are both LA-based. We have a ton of friends who have fled California, not because of they don't like the vibe, but because they just can't afford to live here anymore. The vibe is not affordable. Yes. yes. Or more accurately, it's not that they can't afford it. It's just you realize how much more you'd get if you were someplace that had less stuff.
1: Yeah, it's like, all right, I need to move like an hour beyond even like Long Beach just in order to find something that I'd need to afford. If it's like, all right, it's already like an hour from like Central to Long Beach, Anaheim sort of radius. If I need to be another hour past that, I might as well be in Montana. Yes, totally. <laughs> like it's the same difference. You know, at a certain point, you're just away.
0: And it's interesting to see this cascade of... Of cost of living. It starts in the big city, New York, LA, whatever. And then, you know, it was like Portland, Seattle. Okay. And Seattle yeah. had Microsoft, et cetera. And now you're starting to see it in Bozeman and Boise in these kind of third tier cities where the, okay, Portland was too expensive. So we're going to Boise. Well, friends of mine moved to Boise. All right. Now Boise is getting too expensive. So it's, it feels like there might be some reversal of this, Hopefully coming where these quote unquote smaller towns, which are still generally pretty big cities, you know, start to get these support structures back as their population increases as people flee the more expensive places.
1: Yeah, hopefully, ideally. I mean, the the worry is that people will move into these spaces, but they'll move in as basically like remote robots. Right,
0: tourists. Yeah.
1: Yeah. yeah, they won't set down roots. They won't integrate themselves into the community. So like just my neighborhood has like two halves to it. One is like the slightly older development, and then we've got like brand new development. And the brand new development has all been targeted at like Tech workers, particularly like tech workers on Visa, and just the difference in the two halves of the community in terms of like foot traffic and how the community has actually been designed. Calgary's already like terrible with the fact that it's so car centric, but then mm. this like new development, it's like cosplay. There's these <laughs> um, like water feature centerpieces that look like a park that you would want to, like, sit next to, like, yo, like, this little sort of artificial babbling brook, this, like, nice fountain, there's these good stones. It is not actually, like, walkable at all. Like, the grade of the actual, like, green space, it's just really awkward. You wouldn't want to actually, like, sit there. You wouldn't want to hang out there. You can't Uh toss a ball there. It's meant to look good while you're driving past it. Uh It's, like, in the same way that Disney creates the illusion of a three-story building of a right. five-story building, just by like compressing everything. It looks like a green space from a distance, and then you get up to it on foot, and it's just, it's the wrong dimensions.
0: Yeah. I assume that the answer to this is going to be yes, because it's true everywhere. Has hipsterfication set in? You know, Edison bulbs, which are now old school, that sort of thing. Are you getting that hipstery vibe there?
1: Yeah, for sure. Calgary's kind of, a lot of people overlook it, but we were getting like a gastro pub with the Edison bulbs. We were getting that yep. in 2000. <laughs> like when it was just like a new vibe, like that's going out of style now.
0: I know. Isn't that weird? You know, it's a 12, 15 year old uh, look. So what's the new style? What, Leighton, you might be better equipped to answer this than <laughs> You than pointed me. at the young person on the call. <laughs> well, you know, you're, you're art minded, but I feel like that hipster vacation, the Edison bulb, the, the Ace Hotel, if you will, Uh, kind Mm -hmm. of vibe is going a bit out of style. Is there a clear contender for what's replacing it?
2: I feel like this is really exemplified in the Instagram branding change because it used to be the old-timey camera. And then we shifted to this ugly-ass, like, look, as a big proponent of gradients, as somebody who constantly uses gradients, the Instagram gradient, it does not work. Regardless everything is gradients, all like Tumblr style, lowercase, simple white text with a period or like a lee at the end of the name. Like, I think it's very minimalist. It's very sterile feeling. It's like corporate Memphis, but a physical location.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And then the, the rougher stuff is going a little bit more industrial. You're seeing a lot of like fake bolts, a lot of fake rust. Yes. And Rustic never really goes out of style, but Rustic has been on the up and up for, I don't know, six, seven years now. And so it's probably going to peak in mainstream in the next like four
2: or five years. Mm -hmm. And then give it another 15 years and whatever the YouTube equivalent in 15 years is where it's like, you know, 2010s, uh, hipster nostalgia. And it's just like a 10 hour playlist of like (laughs) lo-fi Carly Rae Jepsen on top of, you know, weird liminal spaces, images of these Mm. weird...
0: So I I was talking with my wife yesterday about it seems like the 70s are once again back. Like they were back in the 90s doing that every 20 years thing. And now they're back again. And at least for me, this is the first time in my life I'm just under 50. I'm 48. So maybe this happens all the time. Maybe it doesn't. I don't have enough data. But to see a decade that came back once and now is coming back again it, do yeah. you agree with this about the 70s? They're kind of back again. Yeah, and when fucking yeah. watching Columbo. Yeah. Like, okay. I love Columbo. I mean, Columbia. so
1: like. <laughs> that's, uh, that's my fault. <laughs> <laughs> that's my generation's fault. That's Gen Y. So Gen Y, we're all turning 40. We're either solidly in our 30s or those of us at the top end are entering our 40s. So we were teenagers in the 90s. Gen X, like you were teenagers in the 90s, but you were like late teens in the 90s. Yes. We were like... 10 to 20 like it was our entire teen years were encompassed in the 90s and so we had all the gen x bands who were like singing about when they were like young teens you know the music from the 70s and we had the aesthetic of that and then you start to realize that like okay smashing pumpkins 1979 huge hit in 1995 it is older now than the time period that the song is about yes so all of this stuff that we had in our formative years that was all these like references to the 70s are now even farther from us in the present. Oh, yeah. Like the references are farther than the references were from the thing that they that they were referencing. The gap between now and the nineties is wider than the gap between the 70s and the 90s. Yes. And yes. so there's that like panic. Of, oh, well, I've got to reclaim, like, I need, I need to <laughs> reclaim my youth, especially since so many of my generation, like, there's that perception of just, like, our adulthoods were kind of, like, stolen from us. So, it's like, you entered into adulthood in the immediate wake of 9-11, <laughs> which set a lot of things on the back foot. Then, you know, maybe like right around the time that like you're starting to go, it's like, yeah, I should really be taking the next like step in life, global financial crisis. There's no jobs because nobody's retiring, then global financial crisis, then just the 2010s. And, (laughs) you know, you finally start things like, all right, I'm 35. Something needs to start going right. Trump gets elected. Next thing Mm -hmm. you know, it's like, all right, maybe things will finally start leveling out. I'm closing into my 40s pretty quick here. Pandemic. Mm -hmm. So if you were going to go one tragedy
0: back from (laughs) 9-11. One tragedy back from 9-11?
2: August 4th, 1997.
0: Yeah. <laughs> so we have uh in your in your list <laughs> here. That's my it's, birthday. it's 9 yeah. it's 911, then it was financial collapse, then it's Trump, then it's pandemic. What's the previous one to 911 if you were going to pinpoint it? If you're in an affected community, the AIDS crisis. Yep, that's a good one. If you're not in an
1: affected community, it'd be the oil crash. Stagflation, Stagflation, Stagflation the oil the crash crisis, in the Carter right. administration. Yeah. yeah. You're going back to maybe bef- like before I was born,
0: yeah, and for a lot of people, that's a pretty big gap between if you weren't really affected by the AIDS crisis that's a yeah. decent gap of whatever fifteen plus years, the AIDS crisis was devastating, but mainstream
1: communities uh did a very aggressive and effective job of like insulating themselves from the sure. effect and shunting it off onto uh making sure that other people bore the brunt of that one, yeah. So in terms of like, this affected you directly, materially forced its way into your life and changed the course of your life, regardless of who you were, where you were, you know, anything on your part, you you really are looking at like late 70s. But then of course, before that, like, you've got this kind of this same sort of chain of turmoil, like if you were in that generation, where Vietnam. it's like, Vietnam, where that is also kind of this like, one thing after another
0: feels like it, it's Vietnam. Before that, Kennedy. Before that, probably World War II or yeah. Korea. I guess Korea. Korea.
1: And the thing is, like Vietnam's a big one, and that obviously like ruined an entire generation of young men and just like needlessly destroyed millions and millions of lives. But then. I mean American mainstream culture did such a good job of like making other people bear the externalities and like the entire thing with the civil rights movement was entirely about that of like it's like hey we are going to do whatever we can to try to impose some of these externalities back on the mainstream culture because otherwise it'll be endlessly invisible to you because there there was just this really long period between World War 2 and Vietnam where it was just like oh, we can just do a really good job of making sure that the people who bear the brunt of the bad things that happen in society are people we don't care about. Like our, yeah. our people, it's like, yeah, we're happy for them to suffer. So it kind of took a while before things started happening that really uh, did not care so much
0: about. <laughs> uh, yeah, and of course, you know, you you, you mentioned Trump, which for a significant portion of the population was not a bad thing. Yeah. And I think by any objective standards, it was awful. But there are a lot of people who are very happy about it, right? For people who were stoked, it's all of the
2: issues that a Trump presidency brings is displaced on all the people that I don't like. So really, it's a win for me.
1: The thing there is that, you know, it's very much like a minority inflicting their grievances on the rest of the world. And if they suffer in the process, because the thing was, is that like a Trump presidency was objectively bad for a lot of Trump supporters, but they didn't care because that was the cost they were willing to pay to make other people suffer.
0: Because it felt like winning. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That was more important to turn it back to a slightly lighter topic to get back to the (laughs) 70s thing. (laughs) I love this <laughs> A lighter topic, that we went the dead. 1970s. Yeah, when everyone was happy all the time. The interesting thing to me about the 70s coming back is, and this is maybe just because I wasn't paying attention, I didn't see this with the 60s. You know, I didn't see the 60s come back 10 years ago or whatever in the same way I see the 70s coming back now. And maybe that's wrong. Maybe I just missed it. Maybe also social media was kind of in its infancy or adolescence maybe 10 years ago. So maybe it's just that I wasn't paying attention or it was harder to find out what people were doing. But I didn't see that same thing with the 60s.
1: Yeah, the complicated thing with the 60s is that the identity of the 60s is kind of like fabricated in retrospect, that a lot of things that we identify with the 60s visually are, one, they're a very like kind of overwhelming aesthetic, you know, the like psychedelia and stuff. But a lot of that stuff is actually like really late 60s and a ton of it is actually early 70s. And for the most part, like the look of the 60s was the 50s. Yeah, and so there is kind of this like I think disconnect between reality and sort of perception that you've got this very narrow slice of like psychedelic subculture in the late '60s with that like flower power bell bottoms da 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 da. Yeah, yeah, it's like oh the '60s look, but that was really like this really narrow slice of time, and it's so distinct that you're kind of doing it like as a bit. Whereas the '70s, you know, one a lot of that like '60s look was in fact the '70s. And so the 70s is longer. It's uh, a little bit more calcified. There's also the just reality that like, there's this great m- meme that goes around where it's like, oh, you grew up in the eighties, and it's this bedroom that's got like a Nintendo controller uh coffee table mm-hmm. and like it's got the Taco Bell geometry wallpaper yep, and yep. you know, Cindy Lauper poster and a guitar in the corner and like all this stuff. And it's like, no, I grew up in the eighties, wood-paneled hallway with a giant crucifix <laughs> at the end. Yeah. <laughs> Because the things that really define a decade tend to be the things that were built the decade previously. Uh, yeah. Because because people build things and then they don't go away. Like that was Robert Moses's whole thing. It's like if you build a bridge, it's really hard to take it down because people get used to it being there. And so what we define as the 70s look, it is in its own way a, a, a post hoc creation, an amalgamation of like different looks that were popular across like Probably 15, 20 years, like in aggregate, uh, you know, add five on either side. So like 1965 to 1985 is our seventies look. But then, even then, things like earth tones that it's like, all right, well, let's move from like high saturation primaries. And then we move away from that into just kind of like a gradient. So let's like, oh, like, let's get a lot more like oranges, browns, tans, mm-hmm. and whatnot, just in the style. And we perpetually swing back and forth from that. But then we've got the 1970s, which are extremely well documented. 99% of it is in modern looking color television, modern film stocks. You can find a photo of 1976 that looks like it was taken yesterday. Mm-hmm. So there's a documentation aspect to it as well. Totally.
2: There's like a dovetailing ethos wise, I think with like beauty and fashion where, you know, we had this Instagram makeup, like everything's very, you know, tight crop tops, whatever. Yeah. And then I think over the course of the pandemic, where nobody's going anywhere and doesn't have to be seen outside of a little square on a computer for a lot of people. Nobody's wearing bras anymore. Makeup has gotten very, very simple and like natural, like as a curtain bangs haver. Curtain bangs are in like flowy, sort of comfortable. I think it kind of like lines up with this shift away from these like super high maintenance kind of styles.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: On the makeup front, what I'm seeing happen there is a polarization. So like a lot of it is shifting. And also with like the fashion, you were saying that it's like bras are kind of going out of fashion or like what's in vogue right now is very sort of like minimalized, no wires, no push up. You know, it's just like cozy wear effectively. So a lot of fashion is shifting kind of this like cozy wear, or it's going super extreme. You're getting like the really, really like big high contrast wings. You're getting really bold eyeshadows. It's not rouge. It's like, it's basically face paint in a lot of cases. (laughs) Because the thing is, is that the webcam flattens so much that it's like, why am I going to put on like an air quote, like natural look that's got like a pretty significant amount of foundation. It's going to look the same on the other side of the webcam. So I might as well save the 10 minutes and just like, not,
2: and I mean that's a really '70s makeup thing to do of these big like mod bright yeah. colors,
1: like yeah. Or I'm going to go so extreme that like anyone on the other side of the webcam, like they absolutely can see like the work that I've put in because it's uh, yeah, because it's yeah. high contrast, it's bold, it stands out.
0: Well, speaking of being high contrast and bold, uh, this is Layton Night with Brian Wecht, <laughs> and my name is Brian Wecht. <laughs> Over here we have Layton Gray. Say hi, Layton.
2: Oh, that was so appropriately embarrassing, a transition to introducing the show. Thank you. I've been trying to get worse at those,
0: and I feel <laughs> like I succeeded.
2: Good job. Uh, I'm Leighton, the previous tragedy to 9-11. <laughs> 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 uh, and, and as Brian said, this is late Night with Brian Wagton And mystery guest, who I'm so excited that we have here today, would you care yes. to introduce yourself?
1: My name is Dan Olson. I'm a YouTuber or YouTube documentarian from
2: Calgary, Alberta, Canada. Yeah. And what's the name of your YouTube channel or videos that you've made that people might be familiar with?
1: So the series name is Folding Ideas.
0: Folding Ideas on YouTube. Layton and I are both huge fans of what you do. I mean, like really, really impressive, wonderful stuff. So we're very, very excited to have you on. Thanks for having me here. Yeah. Well, Okay. Always want to talk about some specific things from the videos. And I think we're going to dive into it right now. So, the first thing I was looking through your channel again today. So, uh, context I used to be a physics professor. Mm -hmm. So, before I quit academics to be a full time YouTuber, I was a theoretical physicist. I worked on string theory and particle physics and all that. Did the whole academic route, got a professor job, and then quit to dress up like a ninja and be a YouTuber. So, I rewatched the how did these physicists get in a flat Earth? Uh, yeah, or sorry, geos- geocentric, not flat <laughs> Earth. It's yeah, different. Sorry. Yeah. And first of all, one of my favorite things of that video was an omission. Actually, where nobody is surprised that Mishio Kaku was no, in this no movie, one. no one, and <laughs> no. you didn't even really, you mentioned he was there, and then spent no time on him because people are like no. that fucker will say anything. Yeah. So yeah. of course that Michio Kaku,
1: sense. I was like, makes sense that he's there. Max Tegmark, unfortunately, it makes sense to be there just because he's kind of gullible. I mean, this is based off a bunch of information that came out after that. It turns out that like he actually has gotten suckered
0: into like a bunch of scams. Oh, really? Yeah. I was a postdoc at the Center for Theoretical Physics at MIT where Max was, you know, like I don't know if he was part of that staff. I saw him around at talks and stuff like that. Like he was a, you know, loosely defined a colleague. You know, I I know he's famous for this, like, hierarchy of multiverses and, you know, big idea kind of stuff. Uh, I had no idea he had been scammed. What were the scams? Do you remember? It was about, like, six, eight months ago. He was inadvertently, like,
1: funding this, like, extremist campaign. And yeah. then when asked about it, he was like it's like I have no idea like what they were yes, doing. Like they just kind of came to me and asked for funding and he did like no due diligence. Like and then like a little more digging, and it's like he just kind of seems as like a really credulous guy, uh, <laughs> who inherently believes in the goodness of humanity, uh, to a degree <laughs> where it's like maybe be a little more
0: suspicious. Yeah. Where Krauss is quite the opposite. I think don't want to say anything legally actionable, but yeah, uh, yeah, uh, I have not had the best experiences with, uh, yeah. Krauss, Krauss also
1: doesn't surprise me that he shows up. If you look at the comments, a lot of the comments are like, Why don't you go harder on Krauss? I'm like, I don't, uh, yeah, we're, we're not getting into Krauss today. Like, yeah, that's there a was a lot I could say. There was a thing. lot of it's like, if we start talking about Krauss, we're never going to get around to talking about these Christian extremists that we're here right, for,
0: which was the more interesting part of that, of that particular yeah. video. It's always fun to see. People I like talk about theoretical physicists looking like idiots, and that video squarely fit that niche for me. So thank you for, <laughs> for that one. I really enjoyed it. The line goes up thing is probably your, that's your most popular video. Is that true? By a lot. Yeah. So at the risk of being glib, how often do people ask you, you know, do you finally feel like, yeah, I fucking told you so after the last six months?
1: Yeah. I mean, it kind of goes both ways. I mean, so the fact that I eventually just kind of went into hiding from the response to line goes up. So like normally I put a video out and then like, there's usually about two, three weeks, like really about two after it comes out where like, you know, it's getting a lot of comments and maybe it gets posted in a like, what's hot this week, sort of like article or like, watch this, you know, a decent amount of traffic on Reddit. And so for line goes up, it was really popular with journalists and journalists obviously have an outlet and it was popular with podcasters and podcasters obviously have an outlet and so it was just like i was getting so much contact about it that kind of never seemed to die down it was Uh like oh i'll take february off and then i'll deal with it it's like i spent february like answering media requests i was like okay Uh like it'll die down at the end of the month it'll be fine and then it didn't really die down in march it didn't really (laughs) die down in april until like it didn't really die down until i just like Stopped answering. Uh, yeah, like yeah, stopped yeah. answering emails and was getting. It's like, hey, are you willing to come down to LA? And I was just like, I'm just gonna ghost you. Uh, yeah, I'm not. <laughs> I'm not driving down to LA right now. Sorry.
2: And I mean, that sounds so exhausting. On top of the like postpartum, I've spent so much time working on this thing, and now it's yeah, out. and oh, trying yeah. to
1: pivot into like making something else. Yeah, like it was exhausting. Yeah, I'm sure. Yeah, so because of that, like I do get tagged often with like. Dan warned you. Yes. But not a lot of people being like, hey, do you want to react to like the FTX thing? And I think part of that also comes down to the fact that like the video came out and the crash kind of started like later that afternoon. So, yeah. in terms of like the good timing of the release, like it already came out kind of on the precipice, which you look at the charts now and you're like, ah, yes, there's the precipice. So, it was already like in its initial wave sort of discussed in this context of like, a lot of this contagion is something that could be seen coming from a distance just by doing any kind of actual honest due diligence about the nature of the ecosystem.
2: And how long were you working on
0: Line Goes Up? About a year. That shows. (laughs) I mean, the thing is a a monumental achievement. Everything about it radiates, oh my God, this is a tremendous amount of work in in the best way.
1: Yeah. So I've been following crypto since its inception, you know, um, 2009. In various capacities, but uh, it was the the first Beeple sale, not the everyday's one, the one before that that sort of first got this like really back on my radar. And then I was like mm-hmm. touching it. I was touching it in May twenty twenty. I was like, I'm gonna do a video on this, and I started working on it. And I put in about three and a half weeks of like hardcore. Work and then realized that, like, I was never going to be fast enough to get it out. The whole time that I was writing, I was just constantly chasing, like, some new change, some new swing, some new thing. I was like, it's too volatile for me to keep up with. And so I put it aside, worked on a couple other uh, projects. And then in the fall, like, I started the big thread that. Wound up becoming very popular where I like started joining all of the Discords and was like really like going in deep. And so from about early September, the World of Warcraft expansion came out. <laughs> Do I have my timeline right?
0: I think it was I think Battle for no Azeroth yeah.
1: came out. A couple weeks later, I started really diving in. I might be completely wrong on my timelines here, but uh I started really diving in. And so The Hardcore work started in September, and then it came out end of January.
0: Gotcha. Is it just you doing all the production, or do you have people you work with on on that as well? That one was just me. Wow. (laughs) That's incredible.
1: Yeah. I mean, obviously, like, no man is an island, so I have support networks of, like, peers and friends and whatnot that I can, like, be like, hey, can I read you 10 minutes of material and you sit there and listen to it. And I gauge the reaction on your face to see how like just bored you are. If any of this (laughs) makes any sense. So like everybody has help. No, sure.
0: But you're editing it and doing the, all the the, animation, all all
1: the stuff. Yeah. No structural help. I'd get feedback, but like, that's amazing, dude. Otherwise it was like, and line goes up in particular. I went out into like Bushwick and tracked down those murals and, yep. <laughs> uh, you know, and I'm, I'm hauling my camera bag, uh, out there, like setting up the camera, hit record, go stand on my bark, go back, cancel, like end the recording, replay through it. All right. Am I in focus? All right. We're good to go. Check audio. Check, like so wow. the solo shoots out in Bushwick. I did have a second pair of hands for one of the shoots out in New York. Where a friend came along because we were headed to uh dinner to meet up with another friend. And so we did the the ape mural that I'm like standing in front of that yes. wound up being the thumbnail. So like I had I had a second pair of hands to like hit record on <laughs> uh on that one. But yeah, no, for the most part, I shoot it myself, I record it myself, I I do all of the editing. I mean, I like doing the editing, I like doing the graphics. Uh that yeah. stuff's like a lot of fun for me. It really feeds me creatively. Okay. But it does mean that like I'm slow and it takes a lot of energy. And there isn't that like moment where it's like, all right, I've done my part writing and shooting it. Now I hand it off to an editor who's going to spend a month working on it while I get started on the next thing. So that's why the release schedule ends up being sort of what it is. I'm very bad at multitasking in that way that it's like I can't start thinking about the next script until like this one is done. Yeah, yeah.
2: It's really interesting how many... Long form, especially like documentary style, people on YouTube are so hard on themselves for their release schedule, which I completely understand because I'm incapable of not being hard on myself about anything. But it is fascinating watching people who are eminently incredibly talented and driven make these like crazy huge projects like this. And just yeah. like, man, I wish I was doing another one at the same time. Like, <laughs> I'm just happy it's there.
0: You you made a feature film. Yeah, yeah, it's okay I, if it took a year. I was thinking
1: about it in those contexts because, like, I follow a lot of documentary filmmakers and one of my favorite, like Penny
0: Lane. Oh, she's just the best.
1: Yeah, she's so good. Yes. We'll talk about her later because I've pre canned an answer that involves her. Okay. She puts out a new doc like every kind of year and a half, two years at sort of pace. So there is this kind of thing where it's like, oh man, if I backed up a little bit, like if I involved just a few more people upped my production value just one more step like one more rung up the ladder it's like you could back off and be like oh man like yeah we put out a documentary in 18 months like that was an insane production speed it's like oh yeah an hour and a half documentary in 18 months that is actually like very normal the fact that you're
0: cranking these things out in like two to five
1: months is actually insane
0: yes yeah the the amount of research alone that goes into it and much less distilling it into something understandable and compelling and adding the whole visual element on top of that too it's just an unbelievable amount of work
1: yeah so to to back up and answer the kind of like previous question i've hired a co-writer we're we're feeling it out co-writing is obviously like it's not just a job posting <laughs> Uh, You know, it's uh, it's a full-on creative partnership. So that's helping with speed. And so like Nathan brings, he's bringing a lot to the table as well. He's got a very different perspective. He's incredibly good at finding like a lot of really deeply buried like references and citations. And he's a lot better at keeping track of like where we found information than I am. So it's helping with like trying to improve the rigor. We're trying to improve the like uh, the speed and kind of the depth of it. And then I've hired an assistant as well just to help with, like, responding to podcast invites so that I don't accidentally yes. ghost someone for
0: six months. I'm glad you you have help. Yeah. I'd like to hear more, if you want to talk about it, about... It's so interesting to me with a with a big success like line goes up and the, you're, you're talking about the, you know, just this feeling of overwhelm with requests and like suddenly of everybody in the world seemingly after you for a very specific thing that suddenly yeah. you are now the face of, you know, why NFTs are bad. What was the, emotionally is really what I'm asking. I'm like, what was up, like, yeah
1: ah paralyzing there was a lot of struggle about like okay what's the next project do i try and go like even bigger do i try to do like the sophomore album follow-up kind of thing like (laughs) what what's the subject that we pick or do we go the other way do we do the kid a thing where it's like all right we put out (laughs) we put out okay computer we're on the cusp of being like the biggest band on earth hard pivot, 180 degrees. Here's okay, computer. There's no yes. singles. Good luck. But yeah, this is not a new kind of creative anxiety that I was subjected to. But there was that like, how do you follow up the big hit anxiety? Because like for a long time I was floating like, do I just like go really hard the other way and just like, I don't know, crank out a couple of vlogs about like Spider-Man or something right. like that, <laughs> just to kind of like temper expectations and like remind people (laughs) like, this is a YouTube channel. Like at the end of the day, this is a YouTube channel. (laughs) I know other stuff. I know other stuff. it's It's a variety subject matter. We bounce between a bunch of things. There's a common thread through all of it. This is not just the like crypto debunking whatever channel and a lot of people have commented on like it does seem like there's a sort of new theme in the recent videos and like the new one that's coming out is not going to be breaking this this pattern but how there's very much like a financial sort of like thread through all of them, that it was Line Goes Up and then the Amazon scammers and then Decentraland. It's like, no, but we had World of Warcraft. Like we had just a whole (laughs) thing about like sociology and World of Warcraft and online communities and like how they interact with games.
2: love that video very much. thank you. Like the instrumental play and everything is just like fascinating to see from a game developer point of view, but stuff that I've not really thought about, so...
1: I enjoyed the response to that one so much because you had a bunch of people who didn't get it and were like, oh, well, thank God I play Final Fantasy XIV where this <laughs> isn't a problem. But then and I was like, you missed the point. You missed the point. Because then you had the great comments that were like, I played Disney Toontown. Um, this this proto MMO I played it for five years and let me tell you about the (laughs) meta toy loadout and so I loved all of the stories that people were sharing about just these like niche MMOs these niche online game communities where like instrumental practices got so ingrained that it's like it's the most casual game you can imagine and there was still this like enforced social code about like this is the correct way to play
2: Yeah, I don't play it as much anymore. But people who listen to the show who play Dead by Daylight, boy, is that a good one that this video slaps another lens on because Jesus Christ, Dead by Daylight. Everybody has that game that they're like, I hate this. I hate that I know so much about this and
0: am so particular about these unwritten rules. When you say "Jesus Christ, Dead by Daylight, can you just elaborate on <laughs> that, that: It's a bad a little game bit? Yeah.
2: <laughs> no, I, it, it's a really good game, but as a you know inherently asymmetrical thing where you have four against one, it's automatically like everybody wants to have a good time, right? But the way to have a good time is either one person making four people miserable or four people making one person want to run into traffic. It's generally like the <laughs> etiquette of what is acceptable. It's very thorny. Go on any like discussion. like the Dead by Daylight subreddit is a fascinating place go to the zoo.
0: Yeah. Wait, 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 wait. Hold on. You expect me to believe that a video game centric subreddit has some odd social dynamics laden? I'll believe it when I see it. It's
2: difficult to believe. Yeah. You know, this is my thing. I spend so much fucking time on Reddit and I cannot stop complaining about it. But will I stop using the website? No.
1: I mean, those (laughs) asymmetrical games, they're just such a unique Petri dish for those interactions because it's like you have four people on one side who can bully each other if you're not doing it right. You're off meta, you're going to cause us to <laughs> yes. lose. Whereas yes. if it were just like one-on-one and it's like, and you're gonna try some off meta stuff, your opponent's just gonna be like, ah, free win. Yeah. Yeah, yeah.
2: It's maybe like the least beginner-friendly game I've ever played, aside from like Civ, which is ostensibly single player mostly, but Dead by Daylight, it's like. You are not even passable until like 500 hours in. Like it's such a huge time investment and you spend all of it being like, why is this fun? I don't know what anybody's talking about. You stop playing for six months. The meta is completely different. And then you come in and you just look like a total scrub and everybody's getting killed. So
1: why are you using a shotgun? It's like because they're good. It's like, not. Nah, they got nerfed like five months <laughs> yeah. ago, bro. Yeah. Well, you don't watch every <laughs> single piece of, you know, you don't read the patch not notes for every reading the patch update. notes? Yeah. Yeah. Incinerates
2: nerfed, man. Get with the... Yeah. <laughs> I watched the Decentraland one. It came out a month ago, right?
1: When did it come out? I guess about that.
2: Oh. I, your YouTube page is up on my other monitor. So it says if it a month says ago. One,
1: oh hey, it, it it's the <laughs> truthsayer here. Yeah, about that. Yeah. <laughs> that,
2: that that reaction is so relatable <laughs> a month ago. <laughs> okay. I enjoyed that one so greatly, especially as somebody who is semi-new to doing 3D art. Just incredibly funny to see this very highly valued. I mean, the reveal of the Lynch chocolate store experience after you set it up so well with their description of it. It's so fucking funny. (laughs) It's embarrassing. (laughs) (laughs) The whole thing is so embarrassing. I mean, how much time did you spend in Decentraland just gathering footage?
1: You know what? I can give you a fun metric
2: for this. Let's see. Please. I'm also curious how much time you spent playing Fortnite for your Fortnite video.
1: Fortnite was about 100 hours hmm. over the course of a month and a half, which Respectful. like is like a respectable. Like, I, I definitely made sure that I put in enough time to like make sure that I wasn't talking out of my ass about the game. People did comment that like, it's like, hey, I noticed that most of the footage was from like, Basically, the team deathmatch mode, um, and I was like, "Yeah, that's just because the team deathmatch mode was like a lot easier to get footage in. Otherwise, you're playing like, you know, twenty hours just to like see an interaction that you want to talk about, like just to finally yeah. get it on camera." So I played a whole bunch of it. And got a sense of like, all right, here's a bunch of sort of the interactions that you see among like players. I made a whole list of them. And it was like, it's going to be just like way easier to either manufacture these or catch them organically if I just play the team mode. So the footage is lightly misrepresentational just out of like a logistical necessity to like expedite the footage gathering process. Mm -hmm. So let's see if I go to clips. I have 176 gigs of Decentraland footage. Wow. Woof. I would need to open Resolve and dump them all into a timeline. It's hours and hours and hours of clips of Decentraland. Ugh. You know, some of them are like really targeted, where it's like, all right, I know exactly what I need. Go to a spot, you know, take a video of it. But then, like, even behind all of those, like, how much time have I spent in Decentraland over the last two years? Um, couple hundred More than hours. the
2: average non-research than- <laughs> user of Decentraland.
1: Yeah, more than the average user of Decentraland. Oh, my
2: God. Wow. I think the dead mall paradigm, like, you hit it so spot on. But there's something about, because I, I just like trolling the internet to find pockets of sorrow, just because I think the internet can contain so much, like, weird emotional resonance. But something, like, you show briefly in that video, like, a memorial for a dead child that was created in Decentraland, which is a very strange dystopic hellscape for that to be in. But at the same time, it's like, what is the story here? What happened here? Is there somebody here who is actually coming to grieve at this Decentraland memorial?
1: So that one was originally like, there's a lot of stuff that got cut from like the speculative script of Decentraland. So there's a lot of subject matter that I can talk about in relation to it that didn't make it into the video. Yes, please. So the metaverse thing, one of the big things that we noticed is that very, very, very few, scant few of the people writing about the metaverse were actually engaging with like the implications of the metaverse and clearly had like very little historical knowledge of like the 3D web and what people have tried in the past and like why it did or didn't work. And the big thing that it kind of comes down to is that this narrative of like the web as a city where you walk from one website to another because websites become visualized not as a flat abstract like document not as a hypertext document but as a building this is a very compelling narrative you think about it and you go like oh yeah that would be cool like what if i like logged in to the web and it was this whole process of like putting on a headset and like down the light tunnel into (laughs) the web and then and then i'm just there in the web and it surrounds me and if i want to go to dominoes.com to order a pizza i need to walk down the virtual street to the virtual dominoes and then like order the pizza there right
0: Yes, I'd like everything to take forever, please. Yeah,
1: really (laughs) compelling in a book, really compelling in a movie, really compelling in any situation where that narrative can be culled and crafted and manipulated and smoothed over and there's no unexpected interactions, like where it all just like, it works because it's a story and it doesn't break because it's not actually a functioning machine underneath. You know, the, the stairway in the back of the Tanner's household doesn't go anywhere. There is no Mm. second floor. The geometry doesn't need to make sense. That narrative starts to fall apart when you see it actually in practice because it's like suddenly if you're a website that exists in a 3D space with neighbors, you now need to care about who your neighbors are. Maybe Mm. you do not want your memorial website to be across (laughs) the street from a virtual weed store. Maybe you don't want it to be right next to like... (laughs) The modern Mario house. One
2: of a million Mario houses.
1: Yeah, yeah. So suddenly the idea of like that as a website, you now need to care about like who your neighbors are immediately reveals this massive flaw of like, if I'm a business, if I'm anyone who owns a website, why would I ever like willingly subject myself to that level of uncertainty and like lack of control? Where in the real world, if you're, buying a business you're, you're setting up like a physical store location you do care about who your neighbors are obviously and a lot of like work and effort and time and energy goes into like picking who goes into strip malls or whatever but at the same time like as you're making that decision you can be like reasonably confident that what the space looks like is what it's going to look like five years from now is what it's going to look like 10 years from now. It'll inevitably change over time, but it's going to change on a time scale that's like really slow and that you can respond to and maneuver around. In a digital environment, your neighbors can just like sell and be replaced by a giant neon phallus like within hours the area around you can change so rapidly you have no control over it. And that then introduces a completely unaddressed problem of hostile design. What, what happens when somebody buys one lot in view of the Samsung store that's just a lag machine? It's just a cube that's full of a million physics-enabled bouncing cubes that it doesn't look like anything from the outside all it does is ensure that anybody who walks into the vicinity of it anybody whose computer starts loading it into memory crashes because that's a thing that you can't do in real like if you try to do that in <laughs> real life if you purchase a plot of land in a commercial zone and you start just building something like offensive and disruptive there are people who will come by and make you stop Mm-hmm. They will shut off your electricity. Oh. They will uh, I'm a, I, evict I'm aware. you. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> you know, because they can come. The, so if, if you're then taking that and you're then like marrying it with this hyper-libertarian idea of like my land, my rights, like, you know, I can do whatever I want with this land. No one else has any say over it. The best they can do is issue a like politely worded letter asking me to stop. There is by design, no one with the power to turn my lag machine off. That's a massive barrier to adoption because everybody that you need to adopt into that is just going to look at that and be like, I'm not going to assume that level of risk over the environment that I'm going to engage with.
0: Doesn't the whole thing just seem like an enormous pain in the ass though? Oh, yeah. Like, yeah. Right. I, this is the thing that I've never been able to get around with any any of this stuff, dating back, you know, second life, blah, 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 all, all the way back, is it's just like, it just takes forever. With a website, I can just go there and it's right there. Yeah. Voicemails are annoying to listen to because you can't just read them quick. Why do I want to fucking walk to the Amazon, the virtual Amazon store? I don't. Get it
2: well, and then the thing that seems really common with Decentraland, where it's like, "Come here to get the service," and instead you, you know, physically walk up to it, and then you click a link to go to a website that opens a, a tab. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly.
0: Yeah. Like, what, what, oh, it just seems like such a pain in the yeah. ass.
1: And the fact of that is that it's like, oh, like so, even the people who are engaging with it aren't willing to go all in. Like, they're not willing to actually put in any effort to like integrate their service into Decentraland. They're just going to put up like a digital billboard and then have a link inside of that. And it's like, all right, that was so damning because that was the thing that told me that it's like all of these partnerships, none of them are taking it seriously. None Mm -hmm. of them actually believe in this thing because none of them are integrating. Like there was the Taco Bell wedding. The Taco Bell wedding was like the funniest because they didn't even put in a link. They put in a QR code. Wow. So it wasn't even like a widget that you interacted (laughs) with. Basically, they just Photoshopped a little infograph that they then imported as a poster. And the poster had a QR code on it and instructions to take out your phone, pointed at your computer screen, take out a second smaller computer, pointed at your computer in order to open the app and order... Your Taco Bell.
0: Anytime I have to scan a QR code on my monitor, that is an it's act of object humiliation. We, I'm we like, should, how did yes. I get forced into this
1: position? That's a dominance uh, exercise. That's, that's, that's somebody right. like flexing their power over you that is like, look, you are not an ascended being. You are still just an ape. Yeah. And you will dance for me. You will dance for your machine gods, pull out your tiny computer and point it at your bigger computer. That's right. Computer. It's a form
0: of bullying. And we yeah. can just say that explicitly. <laughs> I agree.
2: I want to hear more about this Taco Bell wedding. I saw your thread on it, but I just, was it well attended?
0: There were a lot of people bell, bell, sorry, was I mean, it, it was, was very it laggy. Bell, was it bell attended? Is what oh, you shut mean. the fuck up, Brian. It was, it was very laggy. <laughs>
1: There were a reasonable number of, like, attendees there, but Decentraland is so poorly run. Like, there was probably a couple hundred people there. I I checked the server stats at the time, and they were, like, reasonable. But it was, like, a short event that did very briefly trend on Twitter, and, (laughs) like, jumping into Decentraland for, like, 10 minutes is a sucky experience, but it's not a hard experience. It's not difficult Mm -hmm. to do. And so since there was a link that would send you, like, directly there a couple hundred people showing up that's objectively bad if you're looking at an ad campaign where it's like oh we did a social ad campaign and we had 200 clicks uh i don't know maybe maybe fine for like an indie game just trying to get a little sales bump on steam not so great for taco bell Mm -hmm. so there was like that element so like there was a couple hundred people across i think two three shards i think about 80 90 people in the in the primary shard which i joined and it was like basically unworkably uh laggy um and then the thing itself was like the disconnect okay okay have have either of you attended an mmo wedding before i'm proud
0: to say i have not
1: oh dang it okay so If I do a wedding in World of Warcraft, whether it's, you know, a real one where, like, you know, people are actually getting married or it's just, like, an RP one, the idea is that you are actually, like, utilizing the engine and the world in order to do that. And you and a bunch of people are going out, taking characters and bringing them out to Light's Hope Chapel specifically because you have some, like emotional connection to the world of Warcraft that you then want to, like, encompass it either in your RP or in, in your actual wedding. And so you'll see them happen. Final Fantasy XIV has, like, taken this to a whole other... Like, they've straight up built mechanics to enable this, uh but the idea is that like you're doing it in world. So you like the one participant is on a character, the other participant is on another character, and they're using like in game chat to awesome. exchange their vows, and you know, they've got their cameras like pointed at, at each other, and like they're they're moving around in world. You got into the Taco Bell wedding. It was a pre recorded video.
2: <gasps>
0: it was, it was no. a
1: pre-recorded machinima. <laughs> the ceremony itself was a pre-recorded machinima that... Fuck that. They, ...with avatars looking like the bride and groom that I am reasonably certain was made for them. They have no connection to Decentraland at all. What the fuck? What is going on? <laughs> They're not Decentraland on? users. So by the time I get in there, what you're actually watching is the bride and groom... Sitting in front of a webcam on a live stream on a virtual screen <laughs> with this machinima of the ceremony looping in a picture in picture, with then Cal Pen in another picture in picture, like interviewing them. So this is the thing about Decentraland. Decentraland live events overwhelmingly don't happen inside Decentraland. You go somewhere in Decentraland and then you stand there and look at an embedded Twitch stream.
2: If only there was some sort of way to have like a page that you could put your videos or your text on that people could view as a
1: You could maybe even optimize it so that like the social interaction element like chat is is like is given a reasonable amount of real estate and is convenient to use. And so users can, you know, quickly like tag each other and maybe like move it into direct messaging if their interactions are taking up too much space and would make it easy to like moderate and, you know, Maybe you could even have a whole bunch of special interactions. Like somebody could build a plugin so that if people start spamming emotes in chat, like there's then a reactive element on the streamer side. Yeah, like it's yeah. it's wild that the things that you crazy. could theoretically
0: do. Imagine <laughs> if somebody built that. Can you imagine going to a like a destination wedding? You go, you fly out there, you put on your nice clothes. Yeah, you and then show somebody up, just rolls out a 60 Someone TV. rolls it. Yeah, then someone rolls out a card, shoves in a VHS. They're like, yeah, they got married a week ago. <laughs>
2: It's the real like teacher drank too much last night approach yeah. to getting married. Just <laughs> yes, that's uh, right. wheel out the yeah. TV card. You know
0: what? We weren't sure we could make it today, so we filmed the safety <laughs> ceremony. Uh, it turns out we're not really feeling it. honeymoon started two days ago. Have fun. Yeah. By the way, it's cash bar. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean that was kind of the vibe of it. Is it's like oh, it's not actually happening in the space. It's not happening at all. It's happening. In that physical space that we can see a video feed of, this is not the space that it's happening in. This is just a fancy-looking theater to watch this embedded live stream.
0: It it occurs to me that we should have set this up by explaining what the fuck the Taco Bell wedding even was. Uh,
1: Okay, so two venture capital ghouls from California (laughs) signed up for a, like, so Taco Bell ran a, promotional campaign for doing a stunt wedding. Now, this is not new for Taco Bell. Okay, let me back up even further. So Taco Bell, um, ever since Demolition Man came out, they have leaned into the idea of like Taco Bell as an ironic venue and yep. so they have one location in LA the cantina it's yep. actually a very large location it has a whole upper floor that's an event space it's actually like a really nice place and just sort of the one th- twist about it is it's got that like ironic like yeah you went and got yeah. married like at taco bell you had your like board of directors yearly meeting at Taco Bell. And it sounds funny to say like at Taco Bell, but really you had it in like kind of a, a nice event space and it was catered yeah. by Taco Bell. But also like the cantina has no qualms about you getting like Lakai to cater into their space as well. Like it's just an event space.
2: Just just real quick, I want to point out, I'm looking at the website for the Taco Bell, the wedding package, which costs $777. Yeah. First Yeah. thing on the list, things to know before you book. Weddings must be booked at least four hours prior to the ceremony. <laughs> I like the idea that they assume the same at level least, of commitment you have <laughs> to Taco Bell, like the food as for your wedding, of just like this isn't a drive through wedding situation. You have four hours at
0: least. They should flip that around and say at most.
2: At most. Four hours. A, yeah. yeah. Like, at, no, impulse. no, I can see at least
1: three. Like, I worked in a subway where we would routinely get, like, people would order, like, the six-foots. And it's like, all yeah. right, you need some planning just to produce that much food. You need to know yeah. it's coming so you can be properly staffed. But I, I would just put a range on at least four, no more than 24.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You're better than this if you can plan two days in advance. Yeah. <laughs> have you been, Layton? have you been to the cantina? No. But you've heard you know about it, right? Or we weren't we talking yeah, about of course this? I know about yeah, it, yeah, yeah. You okay, know, right, yeah. yeah, yeah.
1: So Taco Bell's leaned into this like stunt wedding sort of thing for ages now. And every now and then they like do another, like just kind of big one as a as a promotional campaign. And their version of it this time was like, Oh, we'll do it not at the Cantina, we'll do it in the metaverse. Mm-hmm. So they ran a competition to uh hey couples who are looking to get married if you would be willing to participate in this promotional stunt we'll basically front you like a whole bunch of like stuff for the wedding and it wound up being this decentraland partnership and so it's this like chain of events of you have a digital marketing firm who has real estate in decentraland that is <laughs> not being utilized and so they go to one of their partners, Taco Bell, and are like, "Hey, would you be interested in doing some kind of like Taco Bell, you know, promotional stunt utilizing our digital assets? And we'll we'll arrange for somebody to like build the models and all of that and whatnot. You just need to handle kind of like the Taco Bell branding side of things. You need to sign off on like scope and da 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 da." And Taco Bell says fine. So they run the thing to find a couple willing to actually get married in this. And the winners of that campaign kind of just happen to be social media famous venture capital ghouls. Coincidentally, I suppose, but uh, you could maybe wonder if you know that chain of like of of <laughs> people who know people maybe goes a little bit farther than
0: uh, than yeah. it appears on the surface. It's it's just bells on bells on bells on bells.
1: Yeah, yeah. You open the door and it's a red lit room. It's like all right, there's a couple yeah. red lights in here, and then inside the closet is red flags, and then there's a hidden door <laughs> at the back, and you're not sure what's inside that, but you're pretty sure it's going to be red too. It's, it's um, fire sauce. Yeah. <laughs> So that's kind of how like the whole thing sort of comes together. They do the thing. The build stayed up for like a week and then vanished. (laughs) But then you get all the completely unhinged marketing speak around it of like the language of promotion applied in ways that make no sense whatsoever. Okay. So at the cantina, you can get a Taco Bell wedding cake that is a giant Cinnabon. Uh Uh-huh. So that's like a signature of like getting the tacky Taco Bell wedding. But so they had that recreated in Decentraland as the largest digital Cinnabon cake that we've ever made. And it's like it's it's a digital asset. It's its, it's size just, it's just scale, is just is literally just math. Yeah, it is an illusion of math and photons. It's not real. You can make it infinitely big. Oh my god! So that's just ridiculous. There was a. a a bouquet toss minigame <laughs> that
0: uh-huh.
1: I I I'm going to try to describe with words how Ooh. shady it was, and <laughs> and I hope I do it justice. Cal Penn, yes, that Cal Pen. Yep, up on the jumbotron doing the actual wedding, says to the attended people like, all right, it's like we're going to do the bouquet toss. It's a mini game. It's in world. The bouquet is over on like this side of the venue. What you need to do is you need to go stand next to it and click on it as fast as possible.
0: Oh my God.
1: And when the timer goes off, click on it as fast as possible and then we'll see who the winner is. And then (laughs) one... Remember, there's up to 11 different shards that this all exists on. Because some of the shards were like, there was like one, two people. And so there's certainly someone who's in a shard completely alone attending mm-hmm. this metaverse wedding. But so the one that I was in, the busy one, a whole bunch of people go and like pile around the bouquet. So I'm sitting there, I'm like, I play a lot of idle games. And so I have an auto clicker installed and ready to go. And I have a shortcut for it on my stream deck. Nice. What do you think the input limit is for Decentraland? 60 clicks a second? 120? <laughs> Let's find out. So I just like fire my <laughs> auto clicker and like nothing happens. Really? So I'm standing next to it, clicking 120 times a second. A whole bunch of other people are standing <laughs> around it, clicking. Nothing happens. There's no animation, there's no feedback. there's no in world anything. And then suddenly Calipan's like, Oh, and the catcher of the bouquet is oh so and so who just happens to be like the bride's best friend
0: oh, come and I'm on. like
1: okay. I see what happened here. Uh-huh. <laughs> there is zero scripted functionality here. There's no mechanics behind the scene. There was no bouquet toss. That sucks. So it's like, go click on this thing that does nothing. And then, and
0: then <laughs> they just, they decided the answer. This is a great idea for a video game. Okay, I'm going to pitch a game to you guys. It's called yeah. Dot. And it's just a static image of a big red dot. The goal is just to click on the dot as much as possible until you win, and that's it.
2: The subreddit for dot going yeah. crazy right going now. Going
0: crazy right, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you're you're
2: breaking the meta by even acknowledging this, dude.
0: All right, so we're going to move on to uh, segments right now. I would love to literally spend an hour more talking about the Taco Bell yeah. wedding. I'm sure this is just <laughs> the tip of the gordita what we've heard so far, but I'm sure I'm sure there's more to explore here. But we do have to move on. Our first segment is our pop culture recommendation segment. This is where you get to talk about a book, a movie, video game, something you've been enjoying from the world of pop culture or high culture, if you want. The segment is called What's Poppin', and the theme song, which we insert and post every week, so you're not going to hear it right now, but the audience will hear it, and it goes here. What's poppin'? What's poppin'? Great. That was the What's Poppin'. Theme song. Now, Dan, I'm going to ask you the question I like to ask all of our guests, which is, if you were to have heard that theme song, what would you have thought about it?
1: I'm going to be mean and just say like deep emotional sigh, like just, you know I just profound disagree. existential, like, oh, I like why this. did I agree to any of this?
0: As an artist, all I hope is to make people feel something <laughs> and I can't control what other people feel. So the fact that that affected you in any way, I'm going to chalk it up as a win. For me, no, you do good work, don't. Thank you? <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> wow, Layton, what's popping? I immediately cave. I cave under. <laughs> <something>. <laughs> I, I can't would do the exact exact same even thing. do and it You as had an such act.
2: positive reception for yes, me, too. True. What's popping for me, just really short it's a YouTube video called Hieronymus Bosch Butt Music. And you know, <laughs> there's the, the triptych Hieronymus Bosch painting Garden of Earthly Delights.
0: Yes, of course. You got the Bosch guys chilling out.
2: Yeah, yeah. The in the in the hell section, there's music on a guy's ass. and somebody transcribed <laughs> and played it, and it's beautiful. <laughs> it uh-huh. is a really touching and gorgeous piece of music. So Hieronymus Bosch butt music. That's what's popping for me.
1: That's great. So Brian, when when you said butt, I was like Hieronymus Bosch, comma B U T music. Oh, yeah. It's like oh, butt we music. we have like expressed Garden of Earthly Delights in music. This is far better. The fact that it's like, no, this is the music that Bosch painted onto the ass of yeah. a man in hell.
2: I also found that there's like a big interactive, like super high definition version of that triptych yeah. that like they did Foley for. And so when you move around, it's just like a bunch of weird collections of Foley and it's really cute.
1: Yeah, because the actual piece is huge, isn't it? It's like six feet tall.
2: I would not be surprised, but I would love to see that. I, I don't remember, yeah. Where is
1: it? Whenever I go to like classic art museums and see, the big one for me, which it is for like a lot of people, is they go and see um lilies. Uh water lilies. Water Monet? lilies, Monet, and they're shocked that it's like eight feet tall.
2: Mm-hmm. Or that like persistence of memory is the size of like a postcard. Yeah. Anyway, Brian.
0: Yes. What's popping? What's popping for me is uh, it is a book this week. Uh, It's by the writer Catherine Schultz, who is a writer for The New Yorker, and she does a lot of, like, science reporting and other things like that. But she has a, a really beautiful memoir called Lost and Found, which I think is from last year. And it is about the death of her father and then her finding the woman that would become her future wife. And... It's got three sections, lost, found, and and. And her writing is incredible. Like she describes her father, glowing isn't the right word. He just comes to life in a way that it's like, this man rules everything about him and describing how she's dealing with grief and the process of grief and then kind of coming out of that and, and all that. I couldn't recommend it more highly. I love her writing, even independent of this. She has a really great essay actually about what an asshole Thoreau is, which is really worth reading. It's from probably five, 10 years ago. I can't even remember, but it's, it's very, very funny. She does very deadpan like humor well, and she has a great essay on Thoreau and just what total dick bag the guy was kind of a misanthropic, you know, jerk. But the book that I'm talking about now is much more heartfelt. It's not really arch. It is funny in kind of a, a little bit of a gallows humor sort of way. But I love the book, and I can't recommend this book or her or her writing more, more highly. Sick. Yeah.
2: All right, Dan, what's poppin'?
0: Uh,
1: what's poppin'? A documentary from uh, 2016, 2017. I forget the date off the top of my head, but it's called Nuts. So, call back. Oh. Directed by Penny Lane. It is a fantastic animated documentary based on the biography of John Romulus Brinkley who was a doctor at the dawn of radio, who is inadvertently responsible for so, so much of the way that the modern world is currently organized vis-a-vis media. So it's based on this contemporary biography of John Romulus Brinkley, who was this doctor who could cure impotence. He, He had this method for curing impotence by placing a biopsy of a goat testicle into the patient. And the twist is that the biography that the that the documentary is based off of is completely fraudulent.
2: <laughs> awesome.
1: <laughs> that Brinkley was in fact a quack. He wasn't even a doctor, but the way that Penny unfolds this story very gradually by first taking Brinkley at his own word because it turns out that the biography was in fact like it's independently written, but it was commissioned and basically written by by him mm-hmm. and then cleaned up by an author. It's a glowing hagiography of of the man signed off by himself and just straight propaganda. So the way that it works through, like starting with the story that Brinkley approved of for himself, the myth that he told about himself, and then building up into the actual like, reality and so there's this turning point like in the third act of the documentary where it moves into like the lawsuits where this whole media empire that he had built just like falls apart because none of his cures work he was in fact like operating intoxicated and has killed people oh my god on the operating table and like many of the things that he's selling in the best case scenarios are basically just water and in the worst case scenarios are like poisonous or toxic and so there's this like decades-long trail of bodies behind him and just the way that the story is unfolded so I'm kind of like air quote giving away the the ending because for people who are fans of like podcasts and movies about quack doctors in particular Brinkley is a very well-known figure so the fact that he's a quack Mm. and the fact that he's like a fraud is not like hidden information but so just the way that the story is told by alternating like gradually between these two different versions of it is just an absolute like master class in documentary work and in addressing like the fact that documentary always imposes a lens on the material so it's as much a documentary about the craft of documentary as it is about like uh, brinkley himself and about the ways that like what is truth and who gets the privilege of like shaping truth because he was in the day like a very powerful man he was extremely wealthy he owned one of the most popular radio stations in america you know, this this independent radio station down in Texas that was, like, competitive with uh, ABC up in the Northeast. And, like, you know, people could hear it as far away as Michigan. And so then, like, he got shut down because he was broadcast, so he just moved it across the border into Mexico. And, like, so you, you wound up with, like, they were called, like, border blasters because Mexico was a lot more willing to just let him crank the wattage up and so once he moved into Mexico, where there was like no regulations on how powerful this thing could be, he had basically like a small power plant just feeding his radio station electricity so he could broadcast all the way to Canada.
0: Buzzsawing <laughs>
1: bandwidth all yeah. the way. To the point that, like, his weekly broadcasts were contaminating, like, stations on both sides of the dial, you know. Amazing. (laughs) You know, full degrees away from uh, the actual uh, bandwidth that he was broadcasting on. (laughs) So, like, everything from, like, broadcast regulations to medical regulations to medical licensing to just really, like, so much about the way that the modern world works was dictated by this one guy just pushing every boundary he could in order to make fabulous amounts of money selling people fake cures. That's awesome.
2: That sounds great. I yeah, want I to watch that. that.
1: So it's it's called Nuts. Nuts.
2: Nuts. Is it okay. streaming on anything?
0: Uh I believe Nuts. I believe it's on Netflix. All right everybody, that's our show. Good
2: good job, <laughs> pack it <laughs> in. <laughs>
1: I know you can get it on Prime. I know it was on Crave here in Canada for a while, but it is findable. Cool.
0: Another great Penny Lane one is listening to Kenny G. Oh, it's so good. People haven't seen that. Yeah. So I've been deep for various poorly considered reasons into smooth jazz. And (laughs) uh, yeah, got to see it. The details that the man just
1: volunteers about his life are... Why? I would have never, never in a million years imagined that Kenny G would be that compelling of a subject. I
0: know. It's amazing. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, All right. Right, Awesome. Moving on, Layden.
2: That is what was popping. Now it's time for our final segment, which is three parts gratitude exercise and one part petty grousing. It's called Peaches and Lemons, and the theme song goes right here. Peaches and Lemons. All right, there was the theme song that we can all agree was amazing. We're each going to start with one lemon, which is a thing that is a minor bummer, inconvenience, what have you. I will go first because it's really bothering me. My lemon is, I I pick at my nails and like, you know, all that a lot. But every once in a while you get one where it's like, why is this so deep? Why won't Mm. this go away? Why is this on the finger that I use all the time? It's incredibly painful. Like, this is dumb. Hang nails, dude. That's my really like well-articulated lemon. I just...
1: Uh. Oh, man. Now I want to change mine because cool. I've also got a gripe about
2: my nails. Let's do it. Thematic lemons. Please. Yeah. Well, no,
1: I've got a better lemon, but I don't know. Do I get two lemons? Cause like sure, you're allowed. I was a lifelong nail biter. Like it was a huge problem as a kid. Like to the point like they would be bleeding
2: yeah, uh, regularly.
1: Yeah. I finally broke the habit in my 30s. And so now my like gripe about my nails is that like there's like a two-day span of time where they're like long enough to look good, but then like 2 days later, it's like nope, now they're too long, they're going to start yeah. catching on stuff, they're going to start chipping, they're going to start breaking. Mm-hmm. And it's like this would be so much easier to manage if I was just constantly biting them down to nubbins yeah. to the point that they hurt. Yeah. Yeah, join me. <laughs> uh, what's your other lemon? My original lemon is that like I resent that so much of my life has now been dominated by managing battery power in various devices. <laughs> yeah that it's like my tablet, my phone, if you've got, you know, wireless headphones, my wireless mouse, it's like there's just so many devices in my life that it's like I use them every day and I need to manage their batteries.
2: And like which one of my USB-Cs consistently works with, you know, I have ones that work for my phone, but not my tablet. And then it's like, I have to get out a micro USB for this thing that I use all the time.
0: I was thinking about this in the context of, I could think of two things that I will never regret doing when the opportunity arises. One is trying to pee because maybe a situation might turn bad, and the other is charging my phone. Yeah. (laughs) Like, if the chance is there, just do it. Yeah, try to pee. Sure. Why not? If you can charge your phone, yeah, great. Do it. Because the consequences of not are bad enough that we don't want to deal with it. I will do my lemon. Oh, yes, please. Which is just my uh, beloved eight-year-old daughter- Uh, Audrey has not been sleeping well this week. And when a kid doesn't sleep well, it kind of throws the whole house into disarray, waking up, walking around the house and, you know, coming into our bedroom. And it's, you know, there's nothing cuter than a sleepy little kid getting up, but it's a lot less cute when it's at two in the morning and you're like, for the third night in a row, please just, okay. And then at some point you just give up. And you're like, just sleep in this bed. I don't fucking, I just have to go back to sleep. So poor kid's sleep. That's my lemon. And I think, you know, growth spurt, who knows why. Something's going on and it'll all sort itself out. But yeah. Great. Yep.
2: Well, that was lemons. Now we'll each do three peaches, which are things that can be big or small that happened or that are going to happen or whatever. Just gratitude exercise. Nice stuff. I will do mine first. My first one is that, Excellent season of TV for big TV heads right now. I'm very behind on Barry, but I watched the first two episodes of season oh. four. Ah, ah, ooh. I have a, an episode of Succession that I haven't seen yet. I just feel so content rich right now. My second one is that I've just been like doing way more 3D stuff. Like I finally feel like I've reached a new level of proficiency with Blender where I feel like way more confident with it. And I've just been making scenes that are like... Of a much bigger scale than I have been. And it's a lot easier and like more satisfying. I don't know. Creatively fulfilling. It's nice. My third peach is just Tomka Guy, the soup. Oh. It hits sure. every single time
0: it hits and is the most delicious thing in the world. I thought that was a YouTuber for a second. Tomka Guy. <laughs> Tom and Kigai, I was like, yeah. who's that? Oh, dope. No, Tomka Guy. Yeah. Got it.
2: Yeah. Like in my top three liquids of all time,
0: <laughs> uh, <laughs> great
2: miso soup is also in that top three. Uh,
0: I don't want to the others. third one up for yes, speculation. Yeah. <laughs> uh, all
2: right, somebody else do their peaches.
1: Dan, what are some peaches right now? I've been putting a lot of conscious effort into improving as a producer, and I mean that in like the role sense of like managing a project holistically. So like I need some custom artwork done like I need an art commission done. There's a song that I want to use that one of my like old college buddies wrote, but like, you know, I definitely want permission to use that. And these are things that so often I will leave until like I'm halfway through editing the project and then it's like, ah, right, I need that thing. Hey, who's available to do like a rush job on that? And this time I'm like, it's like, ah, I will need those things by mid may or like late may so if i say mid may and start shopping around early may i'll yeah. have them by mid may and then if they get delayed i'll st- like i'll definitely have like i it's like just doing things on time (laughs) instead of like leaving it for like the last second instead of just like shuffling. It's like, ah, that's a problem for future Dan. He can deal with that in two weeks. Oops, it's two weeks later. Oops, two weeks later was a week and a half ago. (laughs) (laughs) So just trying to do a better job of like thinking ahead on a project and like managing the project as a whole. That's a peach in my life right now. Um, Smoked Gouda. Hell yeah. Like... -hmm. Get a big box of just like cheap crackers, but a nice smoked gouda. You cut it into like just little little chunks. Great snack. Hits
2: like any time of day. Have you had? Okay, this is the name of the cheese. Og Cristal. <laughs> it's it's a type of gouda, and it's like the best gouda I've ever had. Oh, does it have no. like a little
0: crunchy stuff in it? Oh like, yeah. Oh yeah. yeah that's yeah. I like it when it has a little crunchies on it. No, never every heard single of time
2: that. I go to Aaron's, he he rips it out, and we have red wine, and we eat our little smoked gouda. It's great. I,
1: I got to check for that next time. Uh, next time I'm down there. Let's see a third one. I'm going to do the just like things that are in my line of sight. Thing, great. This plushed animal from a video <laughs> game I love. Uh, this is wow. some merch I bought recently, and it arrived a little while ago, and it is very adorable.
0: What, what's it from?
1: Oxygen not included. It's one of the games made by Clay. They also make like Don't Starve and uh, oh, gotcha, cool, and oh, a couple yeah. other things. So it's their colony sim game. I've got I don't know like. 2100 hours in it over over the course of the pandemic so it's in my line of sight it's here i like it it also uh oh god (laughs) wow they put a custom designed farter into it (laughs)
0: that's great
2: honestly more plush toys should have fart boxes in them why don't they
0: Writing down the word "fart box." Fart <laughs> <laughs> right. uh, box merch. Yes, yes. More fart box. Please. All right. My peaches. Peach number one is uh, it's another kid thing. She had her first piano recital. Nice and did a great job, and it was it was awesome. It's very cute to see a parade of kids, some as young as four, get up there and awkwardly play piano pieces. Kid recitals. When they're not interminable, which this one was not interminable, 45 minutes in and out. Great. Nice. They are the best. If you want pure comedy, go to see a dance recital of kids under five. Oh, It is yeah. maybe the funniest thing you will ever see in your life. It is <laughs> just great. Every emotion that a human can feel is on display on stage all the time. It's, it's <laughs> weird to think back to my first piano recital
1: and that like the piece I played was, I don't know, 15 seconds long.
0: Yep, there was a lot of twinkle twinkles and that sort of stuff. Audrey's piece, uh, she played a, uh, I'm raising a little gamer, and she played a Minecraft song, Wet Hands from Minecraft Alpha.
2: And she played it for me when I visited y'all's house last week. Yes. And because I had briefly messed up my medication, I started crying <laughs> because it was really beautiful and moving and touching that this little gamer was just going at it. Um, yep. And it was a beautiful moment anyway. It's,
0: it's really great. Second peach. Now this is a big one. After 165 hours, I have completed Elden Ring.
1: <gasps> nice. I I rage quit at the at the finish line.
0: Like at the final boss.
1: No, Elenia just like drove me to the point of just like I was just seeing red. I was just so deeply angry. A game that I had been loving up until that point just yep. turned sour. I speed ran through the final area, got to the last boss, put in about 10 attempts. Like it got to the point where I'm like, all right, I yep, just need yep, to yep. kind of get like a little bit lucky and I'll have this. And it was just like, I don't feel like waiting until I get lucky and just like uninstalled and haven't, yes. haven't fired it up since. It's I,
0: I have to say, I, I say this at the risk of upsetting you. I did not have a hard time with millennium. Like I tried maybe 20 times, and on the twentieth, which was actually just—it was this morning—that I did it. I got—I got very lucky.
1: Yeah. No. What I—what I suspect might have been the problem is that because I was like streaming it, one, there's the pressure of like performance. Two, I think my capture card was introducing just like just enough latency because oh. I was watching it via the like pass through monitor rather than directly mm. out of the yes. PlayStation. And the fight is so precise that yes. if it's like 99% of the time, a couple milliseconds lag, you don't even notice it, that fight, like, it makes it basically undoable. But then there was also yeah. the fact that, like, try 10, 12 or something like that was literally the health bar is empty. The numbers read 0%. It's like hit her with literally yep. anything. It's like throw a dagger, anything at all. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, And I would have had it. And I panicked stepped into a bunch of goo and died. And <gasps> it was like, okay. Oh no. 30 tries later, never got that cl- like it, yeah, it just it it started boiling my
0: blood. That happened to me with Malakath, who on my second try, I beat except it was right after he killed me. And then I had to do it 50 more times to beat him. Which one was Malakath? He pulls the giant death sword from his hand. He's in crumbling ferrum, Azula he's he has this like triple slash I I don't remember the lore of the game well enough but it, it's 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 a late game boss right before the Erd tree gets set on fire sure it's it's the last required boss fight before the final one I believe before you go into the into the crumbling city no it's in the crumbling city it's the guy oh you oh, go up, right. the, okay, up right. the big bridge and he's in the thing So there's a site of grace below a bridge and you walk up, you can go either up or down, you go up and there's like a kind of Colosseum thing. There's a two phase thing is the death root guy.
1: Oh, oh, he's the, the wandering prophet that you find the beast prophet.
0: Yes. I think that's right. I can't keep track of who anybody is because also all their names start with M Yeah, and it's like M-A-L something that drove me nuts. He
1: was, he was the one where I was like, uh, I bailed on that. So I don't know if he was the end boss or like, it was like, okay, this is pretty obviously like the end of the game, but yeah, the big Coliseum, were there two bosses in there? Like are both of the bosses in that
0: Coliseum? Oh, there's one below that, the Godskin duo. The Godskin is duo really took really the annoying. Duo one shot. Yeah. Oh wow. Okay. That, that one took me a while.
1: My build was um cancer to them. Oh, that's great. I just happened to have a build that was extremely strong against them, and I had fought so many of them. Yeah, It did take me two attempts, because I rolled into a wall and, and ate something on mm-hmm. on one of them. But yeah, that took me <laughs> two tries. Then yeah. you go, yeah, you work your way up, you get into the big Coliseum, uh, yes, Dogman, Two-Phase. That's the guy I have, Dogman. Yeah, I had his number, but I was too pissed off. <laughs> like, I was in, I'm just getting this over with mode. So, like, blowing through Godskin Duo... That kept my rage going, and then uh, then after, like, I don't know, 10 attempts on the guy where it was like, I basically had it, but just needed that extra little bit of, of luck or practice that yeah. I just didn't feel, yeah.
0: I had never played a From Software game before. You know, I love the try 20 times to beat the guy. I'm fine with that. I like Cuphead. I'm glad I played this game. I had yeah. a great time doing it. And I'm glad I can say I beat it. I really, really loved the first 40 hours. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's the most we've ever talked about elden ring on the show and i want to talk more about it because i'm very excited listening
2: to this conversation has been so funny it just sounds like two guys giving each other directions like you're gonna turn left up there <laughs> yeah, yeah. Be a <laughs> lady with a big sword
1: the lady with the big sword it's like no nah, it's like at the barn at the barn it's like no the collapsed barn you turn right at the <laughs> yeah, collapsed yeah, yeah. barn you turn left at the like barn barn but they're both <laughs> yeah. barns it's like yeah but it's like the barn You'll know the barn when you see it. You're dry. It's like, is that the it's, barn? It's like, no, no, no. Like, you'll know when
0: you see it. That barn's
2: yeah. not trying to kill you.
0: The shorthand, because my daughter would watch me play this game, we developed a shorthand BCM, the acronym BCM, which stands for Big Crazy Monster. Yeah. And she'd be like, Daddy, I think there's a BCM over here. I see him walking around. And then she'll say stuff like, that's the BSCM. M. <laughs> you know, it's very cute. Anyway, I do have one more, Peach. And I'll just get it out of the way w- real quick. Uh, we went to the Ren Fair this weekend as a family, oh. and the weather was dialed in perfect. Like, not too hot, not too cold, just perfect Ren Fair weather. And that was great. Because right. normally nice. it's way too fucking hot in May. It sucks. And, it and it sucks. sucks. <laughs> you get there and you just immediately want to be out of the sun and there's not a lot of shade. This could not have been better. That's my final peach. I am done with peaches.
2: Wow. We did it. That means we we're at the it. end of the show.
0: We are, Dan. Thank you so much for being here. This is a lot of fun. As you know, as I said, we're both huge fans of what you do, and it, it's really a yeah. This is a pleasure. Honor. Well, thanks, thanks for the invite. Uh, yeah, this was
1: fun. I, 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 I can talk. I've, I've very much enjoyed it. I like talking, and this has been a good. Uh, this has been a good talking. This has been a really Indeed. enjoyable Lots of talk-
2: talk- time. talking time. Yeah,
0: yeah, totally.
2: If people want to find you on social media or check out your YouTube channel or anywhere else you want to point people, where should they go? If they want to find you in Decentraland?
1: <laughs> in Decentraland, <laughs> you'll see me wandering around as default Brad. <laughs> you can find me on Twitter for the duration of that platform's lifespan as uh, Foldable Human. I'm on most social media as Foldable Human. Whether I'm active on that or not is a giant question mark. YouTube, the channel name is, uh, is Folding Ideas. You can find me in real life in Calgary, Alberta, uh, and and please
0: don't. <laughs>
2: stalk
0: <laughs> me. Don't stalk yeah. me, bro. <laughs> don't stalk me. Finally, a guest who has the balls to say, don't stalk me. Yeah. yeah.
2: <laughs> um, Brian, would you like to wrap up this? I feel like the emotional labor of wrapping up the episode always falls to me, and I'm a pretty good talker, but I feel like I lose all ability to be a good talker the moment that this last little part
0: happens. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I'll, I'll finish it up with some, some inspiring concluding thoughts. Uh, Okay. And just to, to kind of put a, a point on this, I'd like to say, so when you're facing off against Radagon, you're going to want uh, to level up your spirit ashes to like plus 10. So Black Knight <laughs> Tish works really well against him. So summon him. You can mix your wondrous physic so that you get the one, I think it's the Cerulean Crack Tear that doesn't consume FP. That's going to be crucial, but don't use it in the first phase of that battle. You're going to want to use it against the Elden Beast later. You're going to seem like you want to use it but don't. Um, also, dodge. Learn how to dodge. That's the other thing I'll say because that's going to be crucial. All right, everybody. Dodge. Dodge. Bye. Goodbye. Late Night is produced by Brian Wecht, Layton Gray, and Jarek Centeno. Follow us on Twitter at Leighton Night, on Instagram at Leighton underscore night, or email us at Night at gmail.com.